poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, 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 my friend, to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Coach Brad Wilson. And today's guest on the pod has racked up $1.5 million in live MTT caches and is well-known far and wide for being one of the elite nosebleed mixed-game poker players in the world, Brett Ritchie. Brett's poker journey as a professional has lasted for well over a decade, where he's accumulated a treasure trove of greatness bombs, life lessons, and stories that he's going to share with you today. While poker will always hold a place that's near and dear to Brett's heart, for the past seven years, he's been living and breathing in the world of his Web3 blockchain startup and the sports betting niche, Blitzpick. In today's show with Mixed Game Crusher Brett Ritchie, you're going to learn his poker origin story, all about his love for mixed games, lessons he's learned from poker that he applies to his startup, and much, much more. So now, without any further ado, I bring to you one of the OG elite mixed game crushers, Brett Ritchie. Brett, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is. How you doing, man? Good afternoon. Uh, I'm doing well, Brad. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Uh, so typically, first question on the pod, always a doozy. It is about your journey into the world of poker and then out of the world of poker or maybe quasi out of the world of poker. Um, So what does your journey into the world of poker look like? So I started poker. I I played like a Boy Scout camp, you know, five card draw or whatever growing up. But I was in college and uh, two main things. uh, Rounders was like a popular DVD back then. And Jim McManus wrote this article for Harper's Magazine, Fortune Smile, which then I think became positively Fifth Street, a book. But he was a journalist that was like had a 2K stipend to cover the World Series main event back in like 01 or something. And he, he took a thousand of it, won a satellite into the main and then final table. He got like fifth. And he wrote it was TJ Cloutier versus uh, Chris Ferguson whenever they were heads up. And, and um, it was just really cool. And like, he made it seem like, you know, these guys are like, these great grizzled gamblers. And it was just, it was just um, a cool article. And then I love rounders. So I started playing in college. How old and, were you when you watched rounders and then read the Jim McMahon probably, article? Probably 20, 20 or so is early two thousands. Yeah. Um, Somewhere in there, somewhere in 19, 20. Mm-hmm. And uh, we started playing in college. Like it was a little bit before the TV boom. Um, I remember the one year they, I think ESPN aired it, but without whole cards. It was the year before Moneymaker. Um, so I was still watching that. So still, I was into poker slightly before Moneymaker. And, um, and I was in uh, Amherst College in Western Massachusetts, which is this really small school, but it's in the same town as UMass. So, there weren't like enough players at our school always for a game. So we would like join up with some people at UMass and, uh, and play. And so 
I actually, junior year, I called my dad during winter break. I ran up like a $2,000 bankroll or three, three K. I was like, I'm dropping out of school and I'm moving to Vegas to be a pro poker player. My dad was like, okay, I don't just graduate. I don't care what grades you get. Uh, spoiler alert, did not get very good grades uh, the rest of the way, but I did graduate and I wasn't that good, but I could, I could tell how um, rapidly I was progressing. So I didn't even try and get a job. I was like, I'm just going to be a poker pro uh, or I'll, you know, try that out. Like I had the degree, right? So I, I knew that I had um, fallbacks if it didn't work out. Um, and so I moved to Boston and I would, I would drive to Foxwoods play like 24, 30 hours straight, 90 hour, 90 minute drive, and then drive back to Boston without sleeping. Hotels are expensive at Foxwoods too. And I didn't think about like getting one nearby in the area, but either way, um, and I would play the five ten killed limit. Hold'em was popular. Then it was a little bit before the no limit boom. And then I made it to the 2040 game, which was the highest limit hold'em there. And then uh, the bigger games at Foxwoods were 75, 150 stud and HOE mixed games. So I pretty, early on started um, playing mixed games because I wanted to play bigger and then also started playing on mine back then too, which was um, definitely like a wild west kind of experience. What was it about rounders and the Jim McManus article that kind of grabbed you and pulled you into the world of poker? I loved, I really liked the, um, the sort of skill aspect of it. It was, it, it, those made it seem a little more, you know, the luck was a little more removed, I would say, from reality in those, um, you know, obviously with Jim McManus, like it's, he got really lucky to win a satellite and then final table, you know, um, as a journalist or as anybody, I mean, that's lucky for anybody. And then Rounders obviously is like a Hollywood movie, but it was just cool. And I liked the game. And then once I started playing it, I really liked it. Um, I like the, it's a great gambling game because you have a strong element of skill, but also a strong element of luck. You know, no one's out there gambling on chess because you're just, I would just get annihilated. But like in poker, you have a shot against anybody pretty much on, on one day. Yeah. Anything about the lifestyle, like in rounders, because I, I, I have said many times, like one of my questions is uh, about influences and who influenced you to become yeah. a poker player and like Mike McD is always my answer just because I don't know what it was but it was like this sort of um getting out of the system and operating and being your own boss and being in uh, control of your own destiny and having the freedom and autonomy that was like even today is very much appealing to me and but as a you know 15 year old kid who saw his stepdad go to work and hate every second of it and be just very disgruntled and unhappy with how he was spending his energy in his life. I realized like, I don't know what I want to do in this world. I have no plans, but that path just resonated with me deeply. It was like, yeah, I could do that. Yeah. I, I was always pretty independent and I liked that like the lifestyle appealed to me. Um, very much so right at the young like i remember when i would play at foxwoods in the smaller games i would see like the pros playing the 75 150 limit and, like to me that was like the pinnacle of a career like you're gonna make maybe i don't know a quarter million a year living in connecticut playing these games and like that just seemed awesome 
uh, to aspire to and, and the freedom that you have to do um, set your own schedule like online poker was great for that just set your own schedule do whatever and then you had plenty of freedom to um, to do other stuff too so I, I, I that's what drew me to it um, you know over time I learned that also structure is not a bad thing either <laughs> yes. right and that yeah. like um, you know I wouldn't advise somebody certainly now but even back then like it would have been smarter for me to get a job out of college and then you can still play poker on the side which like my parents you know other people were like hey why don't you do both and I was like oh, I don't know what you're talking about uh but yeah I've I've grown to appreciate the benefits of structure over time also yeah it's a big deal and you know as somebody that's been in the world for a very long time I've put my time in staying awake up until 7 a.m and 6 a.m and 5 a.m battling now I enjoy being a regular human being that goes to bed and at night and wakes up in the morning. I really appreciate that lifestyle. But um, it's kind of, it's this weird thing. And I've thought about it a lot because, uh, you know, I've had a lot of people on this show and it's just, there's no talking to your younger self. Like there's just no, there's no reasoning, right? The, the yeah. self that was like just full on, bit by the poker bug and just come hell or high water, we're going to make this happen. There's no like negotiation or talking. And honestly, yeah, there are things that I would have done differently, but I'm very grateful for what I did and what happened, you know? So I don't think that I would yeah. even really change very much. Um, it's just, uh, yeah, at that stage of life where you can take risks and the downside is quite low and the upside is yeah. quite high. Um, yeah, to me, it's kind of asymmetrical and those, those are the kind of risks worth taking in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. And like, I was fortunate, right. Um, to, you know, have support, like I've, I've had a college degree. So had poker not worked out, it's not like I didn't have other options, Sure, which lets you be a little more, uh, free with how you approach with risk tolerance. Absolutely. Um, and what happened, you know, after you didn't take your job, um, but you did get your degree. So dad was happy with, uh, your bad grades <laughs> and your degree. Yeah. Um, what happened next in your poker journey? So again, I was living in Boston, I was driving to Foxwoods and then, um, and I was playing there and then, and then one of my, this guy I became friends with, he was from Maine, visiting from Maine. He's like, you got to check out. I played a bit online, mostly just got dusted. Like, um, you know, put a few hundred on and, and bust it. Um, he's like, you got to check this site out, William Hill. And it was like a skin of some, you know, European type. It was kind of wild west days, but it was William Hill, like the, the big uh, sports book. And mm -hmm. it was really soft and I ran really hot. So I made like, um, I made 80K in three weeks on there when I had like, you know, maybe a 10K bankroll or something. Um, and so, of course, like I thought, I was cash just, tournaments, yeah, limit hold them mainly. <laughs> limit like 50, hold them. I, would, I would one table 50, 100 limit hold them and make like 10K. It was crazy. Um, <laughs> in a day, it, like no one knew what they were doing, but also, like, I ran insanely hot. It's like, you know, you're running hot when you get like an ace jack suited or something, and you're like, oh, yeah, like this is great. Instead of like, oh, like, how am I going to get fucked here? Yeah. Um, so that basically, um, once that happened, I was less inclined to make this drive to Foxwoods to like play smaller stakes, live cash. I still would do it, 
but mostly I shifted more to online and uh I did that for 10 12 years probably yeah and battling in the online streets uh cash limit mixed yeah mostly uh I've, I evolved into mostly mixed like eight game and PLO were the cash games I played mostly mm-hmm. I've never done very well in tournaments I think I'm I'm um break even or like slightly down over a pretty large sample uh both live and online I definitely lost in the tournaments um I didn't play that many Sundays so like every now and then I would do it but I didn't like the feeling of being chained to the computer and like yeah. cash was just you know it was better it was uh it was more consistent it was more money um everything about that I liked better I love the tournaments now I actually mostly just play tournaments when I play because I like the, the competition and the chance to like win a big number um on a smaller investment but uh, when I was doing it for a living, I, I basically just focused on cash and I would look at tournaments as an entertainment expense to some extent. Yeah, I am very much in alignment with you in feeling chained to my computer or chained to a chair in the tournaments. Um, like as folks who listen well know, I just went and played a live tournament, maybe my third in the last decade. And like the whole time was this, uh, inner just monologue to myself of like, don't punt, don't force (laughs) it. Don't do anything stupid. Like no, do not cold for the Jack deuce off in the big blind. Even if you think it's good, don't do it. Um, because there is this like demon inside of me that certainly wants to punt always in these tournaments. Um, and yeah, I, I actually held it together and, and didn't, managed to not punt um spectacularly anyway and but yeah it, it's this tournaments are just so different They're, it's like a marathon it's a war of attrition yeah. where you're trying to just like survive um and you're tired your body hurts and you're just trying to make better decisions than your opponents and hope that they kind of self-destruct and punt and you don't um at least that's how it felt for me whereas in cash games it's like fire up play with intensity and when your head hurts you can just quit and go do something else for a little while yeah i i agree with that it's like so when i play i really try not to like register a tournament if i'm not in the mood to play a tournament because i've been in that spot where you sit down and then a couple hours in i'm just kind of like uh, i don't really want to be here and and you know then you can maybe make some more aggressive decisions to either run it up or bust. But for the most part, um, yeah, I just play them when I want to. Yeah. I realize you can't win the tournament with like 200 people left. <laughs> it's hard to yeah. get all the chips to just run everybody over, you yeah. know? Um, so you played mixed games online for a while. And I'm assuming that, you know, 2011 probably affected you where were you living at the time as you progressed throughout your poker career i was in new york city so like oh five or six i moved to jersey for a year uh because new york is like kind of strict with their renting uh, i tried to go to new york city and they're like as a poker player without like a uh income like a job uh type of income they were like kind of strict with who they rent to new york city is mm-hmm. very when we, I ended up getting a place with three of my other friends when I did move into New York City. We did, we paid the whole year up front in rent. It was how we got the place. Um, and then once you have that sort of 
established, it's it's easier to get a place when you have like a history of running there. But mm-hmm. Yeah, I was in New York City through Black Friday. Um, you know, I was playing online mostly till then, and then after Black Friday for like three years, then I shifted more to like underground games in New York, also along with uh, like you know Borgata and AC type stuff. Yeah, so you continued battling online after Black Friday. Not really. I no. mostly played live uh, in New York City. I played, you know, I would play like I played a little bit on Seals with Clubs, Bitcoin site. Um, you know, unfortunately, I bought I bought like a, a hundred Bitcoin, which was a hundred dollars at the time, and I just snapshot it off in PLO. It was thirty three Bitcoin buy in PLO, so I had three bullets. I busted that in a day. Then you know, Bitcoin ran to a thousand. I was like, I'm too late for that. Um, <laughs> Missed and- it. Yeah. And, uh, and so I, you know, I play, I don't even know if I've played maybe ACR or, you know, some occasionally stuff like that, but, um, and then WSOP now I'm in Vegas. So they have a site here. I'll play during the, uh, world series, you know, mostly tournaments, I don't really play cash on there. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, online, never, I haven't played much since Black never Friday. feel inclined to just fire up the online cash session randomly. In an not, not really. No, no. No. no, I like PLO. I mean, they have PLO on there. They don't have mix, which I, if they had mix um, or a higher study, they only have 10, 20 or something small. So yeah. If they had higher stakes, I'd, I'd be more inclined to play. PLO, they have huge games, so that's not an issue. But uh, yeah, I don't, I'm just rusty, so I don't know. I would, uh, I'd play like the smaller mid stakes PLO, I think, if I wanted to play, you know, 3 6 or something. What about, uh, you know, the live mix games in Vegas? There's a lot. I again, I don't, I have, I don't play that much poker. I played a bunch during the World Series, um, but yeah, I don't, I don't play that much. So what I'll, happened? I'll live mix, right? Let's let's get to the we we we've we're at the stage of the story where you fell in love with poker and yeah. devoted most of your adult life to poker. Um, yeah. So then, what happened to fall out of love with poker and transition to other things? So I would say I still love poker, but um, so what happened is late 2014, I'm living in Vegas um, or sorry, I'm living in New York City and I'm over the uh, like live grind, right? I'm playing like 7 p.m. to 3 a.m. You know, during the week, my girlfriend, she was working a nine to five normal job, right? So like our hours are basically opposite, which isn't great. Um the, the travel on the weekend to Borgata or whatever is not great, right? It was like I'm making less money and like less freedom than I had when I was playing online. So it's it became much more of a grind. And then the, in, in some of these private games, you know, there's like, there's a fair amount of politicking and like um, stuff like that involved, which I'm fine with, but like, it's a very gossipy. And I just, you know, I'm just like, I just want to play and not deal with, with all of this other, um, nonsense. And, and then I'm like, I'm looking at FanDuel and DraftKings at this time. And that looked a lot like online poker to me, right. In in 2014, it's still pretty early on for those guys. And I was like, okay, I want to be on the, this looks like it could be another poker boom. I saw what happened in the first poker boom as a pro, like I did quite well, but the people that really did well were on the business side. So I was like, okay, I don't want to be on the player side for this boom. I'm going to try and be on the business side. Um, so I actually was 
both FanDuel and DraftKings had offices in New York. So I went to interview uh, with those guys and I'm like, yeah, it actually probably would have worked out fine. I'm not sure uh, DraftKings, at least FanDuel, I don't think the employees got anything, but I was like, I don't really want to be employee a hundred somewhere because I, I, I kind of did my own thing. It felt like I didn't have much upside if I joined the companies at that stage. So during that process, I was like, because I would be going out with my girlfriend for dinner before I went to play poker and I was trying to put a lineup in or something and she'd be yelling, you know, get off your phone. So I was like, there's not a good like mobile tool for the people that want to play um, in these contests, like to give them a chance. And so at the start of 2015, I raised some capital to build this mobile app for FanDuel and DraftKings users, uh, like a mobile optimizer, news, things like that. And so we moved to Vegas because basically the money would go twice as far and it had like the gambling ties in Vegas. And um, how'd you go about raising money for this, this project? Just through like um, people I knew from poker. I, I hit up um, just a couple people basically. And they, they said yes. And we were good. And then, um, uh, and then yeah. you already had the relationship with uh, the existing platforms to solve that problem for them. Yeah, to, to some extent. I mean, I, I, um, I knew both, I had friends in both places. Like, again, I like started the job interview process at both places. Yeah. And then, uh, but very early on, I, I said, never mind. And I went to do the uh, app instead. The decision to enter a hand is fundamental to poker strategy. Too tight, and they know what you have. Too loose. And you're easy to run over. Free Flop Bootcamp from Chasing Poker Greatness is a comprehensive guide to locking down your pre-flop game and creating true range advantage. Eight days of guided training, over 60 optimal ranges, and access to a dedicated community of players that will push your pre-flop game from a place of weakness to your greatest strength. Go to chasingpokergreatness.com slash bootcamp. Available now. Before bootcamp, I had been playing for maybe 15 years, somewhat seriously, always trying to get better, jumping from learning program to different learning programs and training site to training site. Kind of feeling a little bit lost, not really knowing how to go about getting better. And preflop bootcamp just felt like a great starting point, a way for me to to move from being a losing player to, to possibly a winning player. It felt like the right first step. Once you jumped in boot camp, what was your experience like? Well, first off, I realized that I'd been making a lot of mistakes prior to boot camp, kind of learning what Rangers should look like and what hands should be played and what situations. You know, it was it was exciting because I I could see what other people had been doing to me, what kind of what I had been missing in my game. And then from there, just the whole camaraderie of everybody that's um, signed up, working together, trying to achieve that goal. You know, that, that was fun. That's uh, pushing each other and really helping uh, one another, kind of feeling like you're a part of a team. It was, uh, it was a great experience. I, I enjoyed the process and I learned a lot. What was your experience like playing cards post bootcamp? It's a totally different experience. You know, it put me in a position to be successful as opposed to always being behind the eight ball and, and playing catch up. 
Um, I really feel like it's it's the foundation of, of a solid poker game. And uh, since boot camp, I've been able to, to turn a profit and keep building on what I learned there. You know, being able to go back into the group and uh, re really work together, even after boot camp was over, it's it's been awesome. What's your sample size of winning post boot camp? I think I have 70,000 hands played by now. You know, I'm a father and I have a job, so I'm not a, a professional player by any means. That's my sample size. Preflop Bootcamp is the flagship Chasing Poker Greatness training program. If you'd like to dramatically upgrade your preflop game, a new bootcamp launches on the last Saturday of every single month, and your link to join is chasingpokergreatness.com slash bootcamp. One more time, that's chasingpokergreatness.com slash bootcamp, all one word, or you can click through in the description box of this episode. So then what happened after, you know, the capital raise um, on the business side of Blitzpick? Yeah, so so we raised money uh, and then I moved to Vegas and I I didn't, it was just me. Um, and so I was like, I hired an app development shop, right? Which in, in retrospect was not a great move. It would have been better to find a technical co-founder. But again, I didn't, I didn't necessarily know any better. So I hired this app shop and they... It was a not a great experience. They gave us like, you know, a very it was hard to get the product I wanted from them. They were kind of going out of business, it turns out too. So they would just save whatever to keep checks coming in, even though yeah. that wasn't the reality. And so we got a very shaky product. I mean, we had something, right? But it was it wasn't gonna go anywhere. And that basically was the money I raised, almost went to that, raised like 200K or 180 or something. And like that pretty much went to this app shop. And, and then one of the investors was like, you know, I still think there's something here. Uh, part of the reason I started, I was convinced sports betting was going to be legal. So I wanted to be like the Trojan horse to like prepare for this legal sports betting boom. Mm -hmm. And so he, um, he basically loaned um, us money to, uh, which later converted to equity but um, to hire our own team. So then I found um, essentially a technical co-founder here in Vegas in spring of 2016. And, and we rebuilt the app. We hired a couple of people that he, he worked with formerly um, at, at both Microsoft and then this other uh, startup out of the Twin Cities where he was from in Minneapolis. Uh, and so we launched that app for football season in 2016. It was a cool app. Like it, it was what I wanted. It worked, but at that time, the daily fantasy really um, had taken some hits between when I started it, when it looked like this just stone cold rocket ship. Then the government started coming in, and we basically couldn't get the mobile integration that I wanted, which was you would have like this living, breathing kind of um, you know organism in your pocket that that connects directly to FanDuel and DraftKings. And I think they didn't want to get kicked out of the stores whatever reason, they never opened up the sort of mobile API the way that was uh, initially I was expecting. Mm -hmm. So it was hard to have much of a business there. And then to try and raise money to be like, hey, like, I think legal sports betting's coming, like, let us, you know, keep this afloat till that thing, because we're not really going to make much money on this daily fantasy product. It was just not, 
not really in the cards, I would yeah. say. Um, so then in 2017, we pivoted into uh, crypto. And what did that pivot look like? And by the way, a lot, uh, some of these things that you've considered were obviously prescient, right? Like the sports betting is legalized in yeah. most places now. And daily fantasy sports is a rocket ship. I mean, it's like one of the official sponsors of the universe, I think, at this point. Yeah. Um, so DFS is blown up as well as sports betting. Um, so tell me about the pivot to uh, the world of crypto. So I was trying to raise money in early 2017 for this app. And like, again, like a lot of my, um, I guess, connections come from the poker world too. And poker world was very early on you know, Bitcoin, Ethereum, crypto world. So like everyone I talked to, they're like, no, like do a token. We don't want, we're not doing equity. Like we, everything needs to be token. So we, we basically took that summer to look at the blockchain space. Like where can we fit in? Where can this initial vision uh, which was going to be like a sportsbook aggregator was sort of the long-term initial goal. How does that fit in with the blockchain space? And there were a couple companies, projects, uh, Augur, one of them, a decentralized prediction market, Gnosis was another one, and then Stocks, which basically turned out to be a scam. So that was a third prediction market. So to go back a little bit, so uh, a sports betting market, like an aggregator. So basically, what, what does that look like for the listener? That so the original goal was like a kayak for sports betting, right? So like if you're in um, Colorado, you would just go to our interface and, and it would have all the different lines. Um, and there, there's, there's people doing this, like this this exists now. This wasn't some like nobody's thought of it type of idea. Yeah. So so you're basically just like have options at all the books, and you can find like the best line and bet on the site that you want to bet on. Yeah, like the ones that, like if you're flying from. LA to Kansas or something, often you don't really care what airline you're on. You just want, or there's some segment of the market only cares about the cheapest price. Mm -hmm. So there's some people that are, they're only going to bet on DraftKings or they're only going to bet on William Hill. But then there's other people that are more price conscious that um, maybe they want to get where the best bonus is, or maybe they want to get, they know they want to bet on the Hawks, but they want to, they want you know, why don't you get the best line? And they don't want to click through seven different books looking. So it's all in one place. Right. That was the goal. Um, and then, so, but essentially it was like to, to get funding, to, to have that for this unknown of sports betting is going to be legalized. I, I didn't do a good job of selling it. Right. And, and we basically struck out, but everybody's like, you got to go into crypto. So we looked at, um, that market and, and these decentralized prediction markets looked really interesting to me. And they like raised a lot of money. They were valued at like a billion dollars. And we're like, well, if we can bring value to these things, so we would be like a layer two, essentially to Augur's layer one. And, and Augur, basically you can make a market on anything. So we're like, all right, we're gonna do sports, esports, and politics and, and focus on creating these markets on, on top of that. Um, I would say, the a lot of the promises from 2017 from a lot of these projects did not come to fruition so we were left sort of with a uh we were building on on very shaky foundations i think ethereum's come a long way since then but like the cart was way ahead of the horse back then uh so that was a pretty challenging it's been a it's been a pretty challenging uh i would say road since then actually i'm the last one from that team standing i have a new uh partner now and we've we're uh, still doing sports betting stuff. We're partnered with SportX, this betting exchange 
out of Toronto that um, they kind of built what I was trying to build initially. Um, and they're launching their own blockchain, hopefully this spring, uh, the SX network. And so we're building on that. Nice. So, I mean, it, it sounds like a lot of trials and tribulations through this experience in the, yeah. the world it, of startups and app building. It's like a poker tournament, though, I feel like the ball is still in the air, right? The goal is to like, if you're still in the event, you've always got a shot. And, um, and again, the poker background helped me. Like, there's been a lot of highs and lows throughout. And I think that's helped me just stay like quite even keel and just focus on making good decisions. And then, you know, whatever the outcome is, as long as the process, as long as I'm happy with the process, I'm typically um, fine, like however the ball rolls, whether it's poker or business or whatever. So uh, let's dig into that a little bit. So you mentioned the process, right? So like when in your poker days, what did your process look like for um decision-making, um, just the systems that you had in place to uh, check mental game, regular improvements, all these things, and then translating that into the, the app world. What does your process look like there? Yeah, I, I would say I was more of a field player in poker. Like I never did uh, any like deep dives into Sims or anything. I would play What do you mean by game. field player? Like I didn't study essentially much. Um, I did, I did some early on, but like, you know, looking up odds on two dimes or something was about the extent of my study or look at poker tracker, like which sort of hands am I losing within these spots? But mostly I would just play and I would play every game, every format. So I wasn't like, if I went to play Doug Polk or, you know, some specialist in their game, I was going to be at a big disadvantage, but the benefit was if there was a weak player I, he, whatever you want, pick anything on the site and we can play it. Um, so that's why I really like the mixed games. The eight game is, you know, there's going to be people that are better than me in a lot of those individual games, but, but across the board, I was pretty strong in all of the games. And so it gave me a pretty good shot. So really my process was mostly just playing um, with, with some study mixed in. Uh, I took some mixed game lessons very early on in like 06 from this guy, Rush, Russ Georgiev, who he's dead, rest in peace, but he was a, uh, he was a character, but he was a good poker player and and he, he taught me a lot. How come the, uh, I'm not going to say antagonistic relationship with studying, but the lack, lack of studying, right? Because like in my career as well, I don't think yeah, for a long time, it was mostly all play and quite minimal study there was some learning and discussions with my peers which to me is always classified as study anytime you're speaking about yeah. poker strategy and learning with other human beings um, and i have like a negative association with study uh to begin with so <laughs> that it's not doing me any favors it's kind of a holdover from school but um how come how, just yeah how, how come minimal study uh, part of it was ego, I would say. Like, I thought I was better than the people coaching or giving giving lessons. And that doesn't mean that I couldn't have learned something from yeah. them. It doesn't even mean that I was better. That's just what I thought. Um, but also, for a lot of the games I would play, there wasn't a lot out there, right? Like, I didn't, I didn't have um, or I didn't think to or have the connections to, like, get private sims built for stud eight or something back then. Um, so it, it like something like no limit or limit hold'em 
which were really popular games that had a ton of specialists that were very good. I was basically like, okay, I'm not going to, this guy's committing 60 hours a week to just no limit, mm -hmm. right? I'm not going to be able to match that commitment because I'm playing all these other games too. So I would, I essentially, you know, I knew enough in those games to be fine. And like, again, if, if there's a weak player, I'll play them in whatever, but I wasn't like battling, like some of these guys would have these, you know, crazy heads up battles in no limit or something. And I would just avoid that. Yeah. Um, and it seems like, uh, did you, you played primarily, um, not the big bet games, right? So no, I played PLO the, a lot. I played a lot of straight PLO. Yeah. Um, and then, and then eight game, but no limit. I didn't, you know, I played, I, I transitioned away from like straight limit hold'em early on and then straight no limit, probably like 0708. By that point, there were a lot of specialists and I was just like, um, you know, again, if there's a spot in the game, sure, I'll play. But it's more for the most part, I, I very early on was, was on to like PLO and mix. Yeah, the more blue ocean strategy where the learning curve is not so much and you don't have to invest so much energy into one game and likely yeah. hourly rate is pretty much higher across the board i mean i know and the lifestyle it was good like it was like yeah I, again like i have a lot of respect for the top no limit guys that, that have battled it out and reached those that level um that that's just you know that's a very that's a tough scene right uh there's a lot of the, the tools were most advanced there the information it was so popular that you had more people focusing on just no limit. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I was like, I don't, I don't really need to join that um, player pool. I'll, I'll focus elsewhere. And like, I, it's not like I was some bad no limit player, but compared yeah, to just, the top people, it, it was not something that was going to be profitable for me. Yeah. I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense, right? As it relates to like energy investiture and ROI, just mixed games. Um, it it makes a lot of sense. What would you say yeah. is your uh, the most unexpected thing that came from your journey through the world of poker? Um, I I would say I I didn't I didn't think I didn't know how how good I was gonna get. Um, and and sort of some of the connections I would make. Like again, when I was starting out, I was like, wow, if I can make it to the seventy five one fifty game, um, at Foxwoods, like that's the pinnacle of it. And then, you know, I made it to Bobby's room, basically, um, at, at some point. So I, uh, yeah, that, that surprised me. How did it feel battling in Bobby's room? I, I never, I didn't play there a lot. But, um, I mostly played online, but I, I have had, I did play some sessions in there in like 2010, 2011. Uh, I, I mean, I like, I like playing, I like gambling and like, I didn't think um you know i i was never like at the elite the top of the elite but i would say i was either like bottom of the first tier or like top of the second tier at my peak mm -hmm. which is like very well enough uh to compete in almost any game as long as there's some weaker players so um yeah it was it was pretty cool yeah bobby's room and was it like 4k 8k is that the no, standard? No, I played, I I played, played 1,500 3K. It was the biggest I played there. Uh, they yeah. did play a 4K. They played bigger. Um, but that, 
that was that was as big as I went. Yeah, I mean, fifteen hundred three k. That's pretty pretty. Yeah, cool. it's a that's, huge game. So <laughs> that's twenty times bigger than it's what crazy. You thought I was, the pinnacle was. It's it's crazy how desensitized to money I was. That I remember this one hand. I don't even remember the hand. The dealer made a mistake in Bobby's room, and it was like a thirty k mistake against me. And like I didn't care at all. They were like, "Oh my god!" I'm like, "So sorry." And I was like, "Oh, like don't worry. You know, it's just random." And like I really didn't care. Yeah. <laughs> They couldn't retroactively fix the mistake. I no, dumb. it was like they whatever they did cost me the pot. Like it was they had to shuffle the card back in, or I forget exactly uh, what happened. I see. But I it see. was like a, it was a uh, again. I don't even remember the hand, but I do remember that. Um, I bet I, I I didn't care at all. Yeah. Well, I mean, you probably shouldn't, right? Like that sort of thing is just it could go the other way. Like just yeah, as that's, easily. that was my thought process. But you know, uh, honestly, if that happened now, I don't know if I would be as. Uh, <laughs> That's that's it's like, yeah, I'm not gambling 30k very often these days, so it's like, um, it's just crazy. You get very desensitized when you're in that environment. One could say desensitized, but one could also say that, like, you just get used to dealing with it, you know, it just, yeah. it just kind of it's like a football player that you know, you have to get used to getting hit and tackled just over and yeah. over and over again, and then you're just exceptionally strong. And your body holds up. And I think the same as it relates to risk. Um, you take lots of risk, you get used to it, and then it doesn't really phase you in the way that it does normal human beings. Um, and it, yeah. that risk tolerance can also uh, you know, degrade over time in, in the same way. Um, yeah. When you think about joy in your career playing cards, what's the first memory that comes to mind? Um, I, I remember, uh, back, yeah, back in New York city, um, just some of the big sessions I would have winning, um, you know, six figures in a day, 26, 28 years old is like, I remember just going outside on the street in New York and being like, this is surreal. And I would lose six figures in a day too. So it's not like it was just up only, but I do remember like that just being very surreal. Um, like just in cash, like I didn't bank some tournament. Um, and just like, wow, like it's crazy. Well, do you remember any thoughts or feelings that you had? Did you tell your parents anything like that? Did they have any awareness I, as to like how big you're playing? To some extent. I mean, I, I mostly, again, like I, I was pretty even keel, whether winning or losing. Although my girlfriend claimed that she could tell if I was, if I won or lost by how I would sleep. So there may have been some truth to that. Um, like I would be like more shaky or something if I lost, but for the most part, you know, I was very, um, even keel or, or... Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Your conscious is stronger than your subconscious. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a really weird thought. What about the opposite uh, of joy? Uh, when you think about pain in your career playing cards, what's the first memory that comes to mind? Yeah, just, you know, big losses, reckless decisions, you know, uh, living an unhealthy lifestyle, drinking a lot, you know, gambling, just just not, you know, assuming um, like I'm so talented that like, you know, I can afford to like make these mistakes because like I can just make it back and, and things like that. And then you realize like other people, the, the market gets more efficient over time, right? Players get better. Um, and so you got to keep that, that discipline. Like if you look at the top players out right now, um, they tend to be extremely disciplined, 
you know, like the Zygmunds of the world, like had their day, but for the most part, the guys out there now, um, you know, they're almost like, like a hedge fund quant type approach. Yeah. Like there's, I had Steve Zolotow on the podcast and, you know, he had a quote that like the candy shop isn't always open and like things change, times change. And if you're not adapting, um, there's other people that would love to win six figures in a day and that are coming, right? And they are relentless and it matters to them and they're driven and they're hungry and all of these things. And yeah, staying at the top is quite tough in in any industry. Um, And poker specifically where you're, you know, you're directly incentivized to get better through making and generating more money, it, it becomes especially harder. Yeah. Um, if you could imagine a carbon copy of you who's getting into poker today in this day and age, um, if you could sit that kid down and give him some advice, what would your advice be? Well, in, in this day and age, um, I think it would be important to have another source of income until you until you prove yourself within poker. Um, so my advice would be to to get a job. Wherever. Do you think young Brett would listen to you though? No, young <laughs> Brett would tell me to to go to hell and just do his so, own thing. So we got to. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. I was I was very stubborn. Um, still, I am. I'm sure, but but um, yeah, but kind of you know, blaze my own trail and I'm going to do what I want without worrying about what other people want to do. But I do think like it was a different time though. Like in the mid two thousands, it was just money falling from the sky. Right. Like there, you, there was, it was a very forgiving environment. If you had um, any sort of inclination for the game and like some sort of money uh, management skills, you, you really could do quite well. You didn't need to be amazing. Um, now it's, it's much tougher. So I think that the better the better way would be to, to work and you can still play uh, whether it's private games, like if you're in New York City, if you're in Florida, you know, wherever the nearest casino is, you start playing then. Right. And then keeping track, like if you do progress and you build up a bankroll, you know, you can then you can then um, go pro if that's what you want. But like I wouldn't advise it. I, I think that like the poker environment is just not. I mean, it's never going to be what it was. It's a much more of a grind. And so if you, if you don't mind being a grinder, like a live grinder, I think, you know, it does give you, it's like a hard way to earn an easy living, right? That's what they say. So um, if, if that appeals to somebody, then, you know, hats off. But like, for me, I've, I feel like I've spent enough time in casinos that I don't really, I don't um, have any goal of like going back to being a full-time professional poker player. Well, let's frame it this way. What, what do you know now that you wish you would have known then, like specifically as it relates to poker and gambling in general? Um, that's a good question. I'm not sure. I don't know if I've like, if there's a whole lot that's changed. I mean, it's the same, same game, different playing field, I would say to some extent. Like I've been trading a lot of NFTs recently. That's very similar to the... Uh, poker boom it's got a lot of the same kind of characteristics to it and um you know bankroll management um making decisions based on imperfect information i think those are all skills that translate to like a wide variety of industries 
So I, I there's nothing I knew, like I had a pretty good grasp on it uh, early on. So I don't think there's a whole lot that I would say I would tell my younger self differently. And as you said, I wouldn't have listened anyway. <laughs> yeah. That's the the curse of youth, right? We got to make our yeah. own mistakes. Um, what's some common poker advice that you've heard that you completely disagree with? Um, hmm. That's a good question. Uh, I don't know. I, there's some advice I do agree with, uh, which I'll say, which is like the best way to get better is to play against tough competition. Um, so like back online when I was playing mix, one thing I would do is I would play, um, like 30, 60 straight of those games. So, you know, we're five, 10, no limit. Um, because the specialists at those stakes were still very, very strong players. And then I could take, um, what I learned and apply them in like the bigger mix games. So I think that playing against tougher competition, depending what you can afford, uh, is, is a really good way to get better. Um, I, I don't know if there's any common, I'm sure there is. I just can't think of one off the top of my head, like a common well, I mean, uh, knowledge that I don't agree with. Speaking of like studying, I mean, that's kind of, that's pretty much studying, right? For playing yeah. in bigger, bigger mixed games is just playing folks who are grinding the one K and L day in and day out. And you battle th- those guys and then take the lessons that you learn, um, with you yeah. during the mixed games. Yeah. So that was more of like the studying I would do. And again, I would like look at my my results you can look at in poker tracker you can see the how you played um whatever which hands you're losing from in which positions things like that and then i would look at like the uh just the hand percentages on like two dimes.net so i did i definitely like studied or like worked on my game but i wasn't like studying the way i i assume that the, the current crop of elite players are studying is different yeah it's I think a lot of the elite players kind of study in different ways, interestingly, these days. There's a lot of different tools and methods that folks use that exist on the marketplace. Um, so even, I think today, because there's options now, <laughs> there, there's yeah. a lot of different available options and people kind of go different paths. Um, if you could gift every poker player in the known universe one book to read that doesn't necessarily have to be about poker. What book would you gift them? Shut Up and Deal by Jesse May, which is a poker novel. It is beautiful. It's one of my favorite books. Jesse May is a commentator on like the British late night poker shows, but it's it's basically a semi-autobiographical fictionalized journey of of him his career in like late 90s playing in AC and like he actually played a lot of the same games I would play in these like 75 150 type stakes games uh it's it's a really really good book shut up and deal by Jesse May nice I don't think anybody suggested that I know I haven't read it but I am a big fan of the poker novels um yeah it's it's great you should definitely uh check it out it's a quick read I read it again uh last year and like in a few hours or something Nice. Can just fire it up on the Kindle and get in there. Yeah. Um, if you could wave a magic wand, change one thing about poker, what would you change? I would, I would get rid of the lines around the States, man. Let's have a U.S. Uh, I'm fine if you want to ban other countries. Let's have an American site where it's legal to play and like you don't have Pennsylvania walled off. 
you know, maybe if the states really want to opt in, I'd rather have all 50, but some sort of national framework where the people can play. I think it's a healthy activity. Obviously, there's there's some um, compulsive gambling risk to people, but that that applies to the other things that are legal too, with sports betting and slots yeah. and, <laughs> and poker should be legal. Yeah, I would I would say the the downside of poker is not as much as sports betting or lotteries and yeah that's slots you know slots, yeah. online roulette I mean come on yeah um if you could put up a billboard every poker player's got to drive past on their way to go play cards what would your billboard say maybe this too shall pass right because I, I do believe in that never get too high never get too low and and just focus on making good decisions and then the outcome will be there uh, in the long run yeah work that inner strife out while you're sleeping <laughs> um any wisdom you'd like to share to the listener who's hell-bent on playing poker and going down this road yeah i would just say you know, play within your means bankroll management is very important um i back in like you know the mid 2000s you could it was a much more forgiving environment you could be a lot more reckless because there was a lot of money flying around there was like it was easy to get a backing deal if you needed it it was easy to get like a loan from a friend um and then you know now poker is much tougher so like those it's just a very different world so you need to protect your bankroll you need to um you know focus on getting better but um also you don't need to rush your way to the top. Like a lot of people kind of bust if they, if they try and move up and then maybe you take a hit at that stakes where you move up to, and then your ego won't let you move back down to sort of rebuild. And then, and then you end up in a really bad spot. So I think uh, patience really to me is, is one of the best things a poker player can have. Yeah. Patience and discipline. Yeah. Um, just systematic decision-making and be disciplined about it and really good things happen with consistency over time um project that you're working on this near and dear to your heart uh blitz pick we're we uh we're testing right now it's basically for sports betters each better can have their own coin that uh so we got kind of a market cap of of different sports betters and we're building tools to interact with this SportX on the SX network. It's basically a decentralized betting exchange like Betfair, um, and it's pretty cool. So that that's what we're focusing on. What and is we're it? In Let's say right now. Yeah, what's the utility to the sports better in the audience? So it would be like um, for anyone that's familiar with uh, Daily Fantasy, you had Roto Grinders, which was like tools for Daily Fantasy players, and then DraftKings is like the house. Uh, or similar to the poker world, you would have um, card runners and then poker stars. So we're trying to fit that that helper companion role of the actual betting market, especially because we're a U.S. company. Like I'm not even going to try and get a betting license. Like I tried that before. We were going to move to Dublin, Ireland, uh, and and like the logistics involved in like actually taking bets is. Um, it's difficult and the overhead is massive with compliance and staffing so so the utility here is like i i do believe that the web3 world blockchain there's a lot of use cases for sports betting it's kind of lagging behind other sectors in transitioning into that world 
but our goal is to be kind of positioned there where we're the portal. If, hey, I, I want to bet on sports on the blockchain. You come to us and we, we help you um, essentially get better and, and find the right place to go bet. Nice. So card runners for sports betting, basically. That's the, Yeah. Very nice, man. It's been great learning more about you, having you on the program. And uh, final question is going to be, if the CPG listener wants to learn more about you on the World Wide Web, where do they go? Uh, follow me on Twitter, Brett Ritchie. Uh, on Twitter, that's that's the best place. And then you can you know, see the stuff I'm working on on my Twitter account. Perfect, man. It's been great having you. Um, best of luck with Blitzpick and, you know, you're, you're seven years down the road now. So yeah, you're, you're committed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we'll see. Ball is still in the air. That's how I like to look at it. Yeah. When is, you mentioned you have like uh, alpha testing right yeah. now, right? Um, yeah. Do you have any anticipating any launch date? I would say um, maybe Q2 or Q3. It kind of depends on when this SX network launches, mm-hmm. but sometime this spring or summer, um, maybe fall at the latest, hopefully. Yeah. But it's, we're close. It, it might that be is sooner. close. Yeah, that is close. Best of luck, man. Thank you. Just wishing you nothing but good things. And uh, yeah, we'll catch up another time. Thank you for your time and your energy. Best of luck. Cheers. Thanks, Brad. Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast. 